Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. There's nothing can upset me, cause now we're on our way. Our trusty map will guide us straight and true. Roxanne, please don't forget me, I will return someday. Though I may be in traction when I do. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, sound effects designer Steve Lee to the show. Welcome, Steve. Hi, how are you, Timmy? It's great to have you on the show because I I can't really imagine how many other sound effects personnel we've had on the show before. I really don't think maybe one or two. So I want to say kudos first to you Thanks. for going along and doing something that is it, that is very difficult in the field and does not get any recognition. You make an interesting point in that um, if we do our job well, it should be one of what they call the invisible arts. You know, you should exactly. you should just be able to go to a movie and enjoy it and just assume that all of those sounds were there when they made the movie. You know, they just recorded it on you know the 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 location that they're at. You know, wherever they're they're depicting in the film. And of course, that's not the case. We spend many many days recording things and editing them and processing them and you know making them fit perfectly and then appeasing the director who is the ultimate storyteller everything the crew does is there to support the story and telling the story and that's that's what we do and if we do our job well you know hopefully you can just enjoy it and just absorb the story and get something out of it emotionally so as a young kid when did you kind of recognize the sound effects in films and tv shows growing up yeah well that was the thing i I, my dad was a uh in the science fiction community he was a consultant for like science fiction and fantasy films so i at a very young age i got dragged not dragged i enjoyed it but i i went to a lot of science fiction and fantasy films growing up and those are the ones with the really cool sound effects. And so I started I started listening because back in the day, we didn't have VCRs and DVDs and, you know, uh, streaming films and all that. So I would take a little cassette recorder in with me and sort of steal the soundtrack off of films. And I would listen to them over and over. And I started to realize, as you say, that certain sound effects started appearing over and over. And that was a real enlightenment for me that was a light bulb going off i started to realize well these same sounds are in all these different films there must be somebody whose job it is to save these sounds and archive them in a library so that they can be used and over and i i I thought that would be a good job so i started you know thinking about that as a career and then in in 1977 a little film uh you might have heard of named uh star wars came out and that kind of changed everything. I, I was like blown away at the amount of sound effects that were made for that film uh, by a guy named Ben Burt, who uh, became a very close friend of mine and sort of a mentor. And uh, that was when I really decided that I'm going to pursue this as a career. Picking up the story from where I was, I was, I was able to uh, get a job at a company 
um, that uh, is no longer around, unfortunately. But uh, we were very fortunate in that I, I joined them at a very wonderful time for them, and they were starting to do all these huge films. Um, I had uh, three bosses, and they were all sound effects supervisors, and they were all doing all these different films. And we just, in the late 80s, early 90s, we just got a big contract with Disney. And so we started doing a bunch of Disney films and it was right at the beginning of the, you know, the return of the golden age, as they say. And the first one was beauty and the beast. And we went on to do Aladdin and Lion King also. And I, I got to do a, a goofy movie, which was a big thrill for me, but those were the first ones that I really got a chance to, to work on. And, uh, I was very excited because we used it as an opportunity to, um, well, I did anyway, personally, uh, to study the work of a guy named Jimmy McDonald, who was the Disney sound God <laughs> for many years. He, he actually, he's the guy who took over the voice of Mickey Mouse from Jimmy, from uh, Walt Disney. And uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy was a brilliant artist. He was a guy who, uh, when he needed a particular sound effect, he would make a prop. He would actually build a machine that would make that sound like something you would crank or blow into or, you know, twist or whatever. And it would make whatever sound you wanted. And the, the sound effects shop at Disney was lined with all of these wonderful props. You may have seen some of them on display in different Disney settings. They, I think they had some at Disney World for a time. But uh, when, we, when we did Beauty and the Beast, one of the first things uh, my supervisor, a guy named Mark Mangini, did was he said, you know, go find the Disney sound effects. Go, we've got permission now. We're working for the company. Go get them. And I just delighted in that. And I got to go through all of Jimmy's old recorded sound effects and there are many many of them in the film in fact the one of the first moments in the animated the original beauty and the beast uh just before the the the, the story is told at the beginning before the credits uh the birds that fly by are jimmy mcdonald's you know the the twitter birds from cinderella that jimmy actually I, he actually performed them i think himself with one of those little bird whistle things uh, so, you know, right from the start, we wanted it to, when, when there were those sort of comic classic Disney moments in the film, we wanted them to sound like a Disney film. So we used a lot of Jimmy McDonald's uh, stuff and that was, that was really fun. Aladdin was another one where it, it's more, dare I say, cartoony than other Disney film. You know, it's, it's. Disney films has a they have a wonderful style of animation and there's a lot of uh, you know realism attempted in it. Like when the genie appears for the first time and he goes through all the routines and all the different tricks, almost all of his gags at that moment are original. They were made specifically for Aladdin uh, by a guy named John Pospisil, who was our brilliant sort of uh, mad genius that we kept locked up in a sound design room at the at the company. We called him John P because we got you get tired and you can't say pospisal anymore. So we just said John P. And that was him. And he he made all that all the genie magic, all the different events, you know, uh, getting trapped in the cube, turning into the the Scottish guy, and just ever all they all have a different sound to them. And John P made them specifically. He would see the film once, and then he'd go away. And about a week later, he'd hand over this this library of events that was very tightly uh you know organized and 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 described for each of those events uh so that was that was pretty 
fantastic working with him on that too and he really deserves a lot of the credit for aladdin well another credit i saw on your list was newsies i never get asked about newsies that's so cool um i i loved working on newsies uh george simpson the late great george simpson was the supervisor on that um there is a uh production mixer on the set you know recording dialogue and sometimes ambience and things like that so you get a certain amount of feel of what the locations sound like but they're not necessarily correct but it is a starting point it is it is it is something that you can start you know building off of and uh, a certain amount of that gets used of course but in many cases we have to still fill in a lot of stuff especially with a period film like newsies you know it took place in that sort of depression area era and uh we had to you know find sounds appropriate to the time but we had we had a really great library of sound effects i my first job at that company going stepping back a little bit in the story i my first job was running the sound library so i got to know it pretty well and uh it was pretty vast they those guys had been collecting sounds for a long long time that's how i sort of got my worth at ethic of, of you know building a library of sounds and making that your 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 heart of uh, whatever company you're working with with sound effects uh they they had a great library and sort of building the the feel of that whole period was was really a lot of fun and we did a lot of recording too there were a lot of cobblestone streets and things like that in that in that musical and it, you, you don't really pay attention if you're just watching it but there you know there's there's horses and carriages and cobblestone streets and things like that and i i really groove on that and one of the things that the director was uh, really adamant about was the singing as opposed to like musicals where it's very much obvious that the music was added you know later or you know recorded previously and they're lip syncing to it and it's like they'd go into a song and it would sound completely different he was very adamant that it sound like they were singing there in the environment like this was happening right at that moment. And uh, that that had a lot of uh, challenges to it. But uh, they did a great the mixers on that show did a really great job. There I love go. how you guys are able to reuse certain sound effects, because sometimes yeah. that's what you have to resort to. Um, there's a specific scream that I read that you love you know, randomly putting in films and TV shows. What specific scream is that? This scream is going to be on my tombstone. I get asked to talk about this all the time. And and it's, it's my own fault. I started a website where I talked about this scream. In 1951, there was a Warner Brothers Western called Distant Drums. It was a Gary Cooper movie. And there was a scene where this uh, this band of, uh, of soldiers are walking across the, the Florida Everglades. And one of them gets bitten and dragged underwater by an alligator. The last, the last man in the procession gets bitten and dragged down because he's lagging. And uh, he opened his mouth but didn't make a sound. So in post, they decided, well, we need a scream for him. So they brought in a bunch of actors to record different, different things for the movie, including some screams for that guy. And those screams got archived into the Warner Brothers sound effects library and have been reused over and over and over again. And in 1953, there was another film called Charge at Feather River where uh, a, a character lets out that same scream. And he actually had a name. He was Private Wilhelm. So uh, Ben Burt, the Star Wars sound effects guy I was talking about, who's been a friend and mentor of mine, he tracked it down. He found it. He had been calling it 
the Wilhelm scream because that was like the first character he knew of that was actually had a name. So that's how it, it got its name. But he tracked it down when he was doing research for, for Star Wars. He was going around to the different studios, tracking down sound effects that he thought could be turned into things like spaceships and different sound, you know, just interesting sounds to build his library because he was hired about a year before production by George Lucas to just start collecting sounds for the film, what he thought was appropriate, because George Lucas had the foresight to say, I want this film to sound original. Sound is 50% of the movie, and I want a really good original track. So he hired Ben, put him on payroll for a year before they even shot to start collecting things. And he went around to the different studios tracking down classic sounds and things he thought he could use. And he found the Wilhelm scream and he was like, oh, my God, I remember this. One of my bosses that I worked with for many years, Richard Anderson, went to school with Ben Burt. And they, they would trade stories about these sound effects that got reused. And he knew Wilhelm, too. So Ben tracked down Wilhelm. He gave it to Richard also. And since I worked with Richard and I knew about Wilhelm because I'd been listening to all these films over and over, I sort of pressured the shop <laughs> to start using it more often as sort of a fun thing and sort of a tribute to Ben and his work and all that. And it just sort of epitomizes the whole sound effects thing. So we started using it in the, in the early nineties into the two thousands, we used it a lot and it started to catch on. And, and in the early to mid nineties, I, uh, with the internet coming up, I started a website and wrote the history of this scream. And, and I was compiling a list of every time we used it and every time I remembered it being used in the past. So it basically started getting a lot of attention. You know, as 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 uh, Ben jokes, he says, you started a cult, didn't you? Because <laughs> everyone starts looking for this scream. It's sort of a, a Where's Waldo kind of thing. But it's been in hundreds of films. And it's it's in Beauty and the Beast. It's in It's in... Uh, I think it's in Aladdin. Yeah, it's in Aladdin. Uh, it's certainly in a goofy movie. It has absolutely no business being in a goofy movie. It's in the middle of a big musical number in the uh, the open road number. But uh, it's just a little silly thing we do as sort of a personal, you know, signature and um, sort of saying hello to our other sound artists who, who hear it and listen for it. The great Richard Anderson, who also supervised Nightmare Before Christmas, supervised the sound for Brother Bear. And Richard and I have this wonderful uh, relationship when, when we're working. He always gives me the first reel of his films to, to cut sound for. And uh, I, never, I never figured out why, but I realized later and I called him on it and he said it's absolutely true. He would give me real one because I started in the library way back when and knew the library backwards and forwards. As the supervisor of a film, you have to pull all the sound effects for the film. You have to give your editors, you know, a sheet that's a pull list, a cut list of all the different sounds you've selected and what is needed for that particular reel that you give your editor. Richard would always give me real one because he knew that I would pull my own reel because I knew the library really well. And that gave him another week to pull the rest of the show for everybody else. So I got to do real one of Brother Bear, which was a really tough reel because it had the avalanche in it and it had all kinds. Of, oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. It has a big avalanche and all kinds of other stuff. So it was really a tough, uh, tough thing, but it was so much fun, too. I also did one of the musical numbers. Um, gosh, it's been so long, I don't remember. But there was one sort of musical montage where they find 
the lake or something and they're like having all the fun and all that i did all the sound for that too which which i had to finish early because they had to release it for a um one of those disney sing-along videos uh, they they had to we had to finish that sequence really early so that they could put it on the video because they wanted it released the same time as the movie sort of a cross promotion thing that Disney is so you know good at doing um, so that was fun I also I also got to go out with Richard and record bears which um, was a big thrill because Richard as you know worked with Ben on on his early films uh, in college and actually helped uh, Ben on Star Wars. Richard actually helped Ben record the bear that was uh, used for the Wookiee. So I, I, I geeked out that I get to record bears with Richard, you know, so that was, that was really fun. That was a fun moment that I'll always remember about uh, brother bear. And we were talking a little bit off air in our little chat that we wanted to, I really wanted you to kind of talk about the museum. Yeah, well, I've, sort of considered it my life's work sort of promoting the art of the sound people in films and there really isn't as we said earlier a much uh, a much attention given to them and we don't have i was having lunch with uh, some of my sound buddies a couple years ago and we were realizing you know we don't really have our own our own temple, you know, our own place, our own place of worship. You know, all the other film arts have a specific venue where they can go. And sound doesn't have that. I mean, they're generalized things. There's like the Academy and there's like the Grammy Museum and all that. But there's nothing specifically uh, attuned to uh, entertainment audio like films and TV and video games. So I took it upon myself to start planning the Hollywood Sound Museum. And uh, we've been, we're still in the very, very early stages. We're still getting it all on paper. Uh, we've just applied for our nonprofit status. We're getting all of our stuff documented. And we're starting to uh, collect uh, props and memorabilia and sound effects that will be available to people who want to come in and learn more about the craft. And uh, we uh, have a fundraiser going for the preliminary work that's being done and you can read more about it and perhaps donate if you so choose at hollywoodsoundmuseum.org you go there and you can read more about what we're doing and uh, maybe help us out a little and uh, keep abreast of our progress as we move forward because hopefully in the next uh, few months we're going to have a touring exhibit where you can see some of the the tools of our craft we're going to have guest speakers who've worked on all these wonderful films. We hope to have voice artists come in and talk about their work. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting, I think. And it's anyone who's really interested in film and, and you know how these things are made it would it would probably uh, enjoy uh, being a part of it. You know, it, it's so great to have you on the show, Steve. And before we end, I want to ask you three Disney-themed questions that oh, I asked. That I ask all of my Disney guests. Oh my God. All right. I know. Are you ready? Are you excited? <laughs> I, I suppose it is inevitable. They are, <laughs> they are the fab three. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your first films to see in the movie theater? Oh, you know, that's a really good question because I, I have vague memories. Uh, there, there were two films that I'm not sure which one was the very first that I saw in a theater. Uh, one's non-Disney, although it could have been, and one is Disney. And uh, the non-Disney one is Yellow Submarine, because uh, it 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 
it came out in 1969 and I was, how old was I? I was like three. Um, and I have very vague memories of seeing that in the theater, but the other one that came out the same year was the love bug. And I, I very much remember seeing love bug in the theater and just adoring Herbie and just, I, you know, I want, I want Herbie. I want a, I want a Volkswagen that drives itself. That would be wonderful. Uh, so it's, it's, it's love bug, I would guess. And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Oh, it'd be goofy. And I know we're friends because I've met him. <laughs> and our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? A Whole New World from Aladdin, only because I was asked to karaoke it with a friend of mine not too long ago. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun, Steve. And uh, I hope we get to talk more sound effects soon because I'm, I really yeah, but- do admire your work. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you're doing a great job with your show. I'm looking forward to your album. That's going to be fun. Oh, goodness. Stop it. Stop it. You're making me blush. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It'll be fun. It'll be great. I'm glad you're doing well. And uh, I, I'll come back anytime you ask. a